Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, what do you think about this statement? Ordering wine is a game of posturing. I don't think it has anything to do with how you're sitting. Uh, Paul, no, no, no. Not body language. Posturing as in uh, making, uh, you know, making a posture of, of who you are or pretending. Sit up straight, Rick. No, nah, that's stupid. <laughs> it's just plain stupid. Yeah. yeah, I should sit a little straight, though. That is true. <laughs> but it is stupid, and, and that, uh, that was the lead in a pretty horrible story from a major culinary magazine. We won't name it because they have way better lawyers than we do. Yeah, we don't have any lawyers at all, actually. Uh, precisely. That's why we're not saying it. But let's just say it was a big food magazine, and the name could be French. And Ooh. It, and it could mean have a good meal. <laughs> but I'm just saying that. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to deal with an attack of wine snobbery mixed with knuckleheadedness. Ouch. That sounds like it's going to be painful. It, it kind of is. And, well, wait till you hear. Um, and we have some restaurant-related questions from listeners about very nice sommeliers. And we'll have a historic history moment, which we haven't had in a little bit. But we're going to start with one of the most monumental cases of getting it wrong, that horrible magazine piece. Here's another sentence from the story. The words and absurd phrases we use to describe wine might impress our friends, but the sommelier can tell right away that you're making it all up. <laughs> you know what? My friends would, would throw me out on my ear if they heard me trying to impress them about wine. Yeah, I don't know anybody who ever does that Well, and actually impresses anyone. It is always kind of one of those questions I ask Pope, you know, when people try to talk that way. I said, have you ever heard somebody acting like that and been impressed. Like, right. wow, look right. at Steven. No, He's ma- cool. <laughs> Mainly it's covering your mouth and trying not to let them uh, yeah, see you laugh out loud. Wow, at look them. at Steven. He's a... What an idiot. Insert swear word here. <laughs> um, and then later in the story it says, this guy says, and this guy, I talked to three psalms about what we could be doing better to slowly go from faking our wine expertise to expertly faking it. Yes, well, because keep your that's mouth what's shut. important. Keep your mouth shut for one. That would help you. Yes. That would help you fake anything. Is uh, it's always easier to fake something. What well, well, is it better? Better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when anybody thinks that what they're supposed to do with wine. I mean, we say this a million times on this show, and you and I say it uh, personally too. Uh, it, to the people you're about who, to say it again. I, I am. I was going to say to the, we, <laughs> the, the few handful of people who actually talk to us, um, which is. What is the point? Wine is not about trying to look good. Wine's about drinking something you like. It's not about talking about it anyway. So yep. this guy, we're, we, this wrote. I already hate this guy. Okay, uh, but I'll uh, let him know. Yes, because uh, of that simple premise that you know, trying to press the psalm or your friends is just idiotic. Yeah, what you want is a good bottle of wine. Yeah, that's Mr. all you want. That's Mr. the Som- reason you are talking to the sommelier. You want a good bottle yes. of wine. Yes, that's yes, Mr. the reason. Sommelier. Here's it. Let me show you my transcripts. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. so but what's even better about this? The writer in the story is that he gets stuff just flat out wrong. So not only is he giving you advice on how to impress people, but if you take his he, advice, you'll end up crashing yes. and burning in a horrible way. He's telling you how to uh, to expertly fake it. But he's very he's doing it very inexpertly. <laughs> Excellent. So what does so, he say? So one of his scenarios, he gives us a couple of scenarios and what you're supposed to do. So this is scenario one. Sees the wine list, but it's been a long day, and it's all French. This is you at a restaurant. I hate it. I hate when that happens. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So to the server, you say, I'd like something white and really dry. Server, Pinot Grigio then. Perfect. 
Uh, pardon, me, pardon me, Rick. If the wine list is all in French, <clears throat> why are they serving Italian wine? That would be my question. <laughs> <laughs> now, there would be Pinot Gris, and that's, you know, it's not the kind of thing that we would normally make a big deal about if somebody in real funny. life gets it. But here's a guy who's pretending to be an expert. Right. Well, clearly and, the w- emphasis on pretending. Pretending, yeah. he doesn't have a clue. So his reaction is... This is not perfect, says the little psalm angel on my shoulder, a hallucination from drinking too much Pinot Gris, or what I call art opening wine. And any fancy pants restaurants you go to now isn't going to have a single not dry. Oh, that's he's also talking about dry, not dry wine on the menu. Uh-huh. So here he is, A, making fun of Pinot Grigio, a, at times spectacular wine. It's not hugely complex, but there's some lovely Pinot Grigios out there. Yes. And, yes, but they're not French. And they're not French. No, French. so if or the wine list is all French, you're not going to find any right. Pinot Grigio on that list. So it, what does he actually say to do in that situation? He says it's wrong when the way, when the sommelier says Pinot Grigio, you're not supposed to say perfect. What is it? Your, what is his advice? And you're, he's saying, also saying you're not supposed to ask for a dry wine because they wouldn't have any wine that isn't dry, which, of course, is, is not that true right? either. Gosh, Rick, we've been eating in the wrong places. <laughs> Apparently, we've been eating. Yeah. Huh. Uh, what a jackass. I had a lovely nut dry wine last night. Uh, <laughs> so did I, uh, actually. But here's what he says, and you're going to love this guy, Paul. Okay. He says, instead of saying not saying dry, try your word, minerality, or minerally wine. Yes. And if by dry, uh-huh. you mean you don't want any fruit in, this, fruit in, this, in it. Minerality is your word. So here, is he suggesting, because it looks like he's suggesting that you order a minerally wine, which yes. is not a term. Yes, he okay. wants a minerally wine. So so there isn't an it's expert got, in the world that orders a it's minerally It's got rocks wine. in it. And no, it's got I think iron. that's it. I think he wants wine on the rocks. Ah, there you go. I could be it. I think he's putting pieces of iron in there. I think he wants wine on the rocks, and when he asks for it, the sommelier is going to know once and for all this guy's a complete idiot. Oh, no, I would know what he wants. He wants those. The, you know, remember how the Romans used to put lead in their wine to sweeten Give it? Give it body. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he wants some he lead. He wants a lead yeah. wine. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah. But, and, but the other piece of that is this, you know, we can go on and on about. And we will again about how we don't like minerality as a descriptor because it's so right. vague and it really doesn't right. mean anything. Does he want it to? Does he? Do you want a wine that smells and tastes like iron pyrite, or yes. would you prefer something that tastes a little more like bauxite? Yes, but it also has nothing to do whether the wine is sweet or dry. That's true. It, you can have you can have very sweet rieslings that have some of what people would call minerality in it because yep. it's got other flavors. Yep. Well, there's another stupid thing. So he's completely mucked up the first one. He has. And we've made fun of him for that. G- give us another example we can make fun of, Mr. Rick. Well, oh, here, please. Here's one. Okay. Uh, you're craving an oaky, buttery Chardonnay. He puts okay. this in quotes. Yeah, good. You tell Assam, who isn't wearing a wedding ring, implying— I'm sorry. Uh, well, I think what he's— <laughs> Time impl- out. I think what? What, well, I think what he's implying is— now he's being sexist because he's saying that if he did have a wedding ring, he would have a wife and his wife would drink oaky buttery Chardonnay because, you know, that's what the women drink. Is that what he's saying? Uh, that's Boy, what I this think. guy is just a yes. complete but, fool. But because he isn't married, the psalm just cringes. Okay. And then he quotes a jerk of a sommelier who we probably shouldn't name because we still don't have lawyers, is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, less likely every minute. Yes, yes. No, or, no. after they listen to us, they're not going to take us, right? I'm sorry, you guys are getting yourself in trouble. The, um, no, the, what this jerk of a psalm says is too much oak, too much butter to me is a flaw in the wine. Yeah. 
So yeah. what he's saying is because yeah. I don't like it, the wine's And then it, the, the customer saying too much jerk from the sommelier <laughs> is means the get a new, that's right, get a new job. So that wine that lots and lots and lots of people like, which is just a style of wine, it's right. not a flawed wine, right. is because this guy doesn't happen to like it. It's it's flawed. And it, not only is it flawed, he is going to tell his customer, even if it were flawed, even if the customer says, you know, I like really oxidized wines. This customer is supposed to be Great. right, I thought. I got a sherry for you that you're going to love. But, you know, to go sideways on this is... Us? Tr- yeah, I know. We never, we never wander <laughs> from the point. But what other world do people do that? You know, you go, like... I, I, I would like the chicken, please. Well, I'm sorry. We don't serve chicken. Chicken is a flawed dish, you know. It's, they don't make well, fun of people for the you, foods they eat. If you go into a vegetarian restaurant and you order the chicken, well, okay. they're going to say there's a problem. We'd say vegetarian but, up but there. there's a sign on the door that says we don't serve veg. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. don't serve meat. Yes. So his his reaction to this is if you're looking – if you're into that oaky thing, look for a Chardonnay from Burgundy, says another jerk of a sommelier. It presents itself totally differently than old-school California Chardonnay, but it could still satisfy. Could. Could still satisfy. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if the customer wants old school what they California want— Old-school California Chardonnay. Why wouldn't the rest—you know, I had, this, I had this conversation at a conference a few years ago. There was a guy making a presentation on how he sets up his wine list, and he was making a point about the fact that he, under no circumstances, would ever serve someone white Zinfandel. Under no circumstances. And I'm sitting next to a master psalm, one of my friends, really smart guy, who raises his hand and says, why wouldn't you serve the customer what they want? And what, what was his reaction? Well, we have better things than white Zinfandel. And the guy, t- my, my friend, the sommelier, turns to me and says, you know, I don't know a good restaurant anywhere in the country that doesn't have a half case of white Zinfandel in the cold box somewhere. Because when somebody really, really wants that and nothing else, then you serve it to them because your job is to make the customer happy. Why wouldn't you want to make your customers happy? Unless, of course, you don't want to stay in business very long. Yeah. Well, or you think that your job is uh, uh, is about your ego as opposed to actually earning money for the restaurant. People are not coming to your restaurant to enjoy themselves and have a pleasant meal. They are coming there to go back to school. And if you have to wrap them on the knuckles with a ruler to get their attention, well, I guess you'll just have to do that. Only problem is that's not a very good business model for a restaurant. It's a great model for like a Catholic girl's school in the 1950s. And you also don't take that job because you're trying to show people how clever you are. If you want to do well, that, actually, you Rick, get a wine podcast. Rick, I think you're... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're wrong, though. I think yeah, some that, people do, do take that job to show people how much they know about things. All right, things. There's, there's one more on this where okay. you say a red, a really, really big red, you repeat. Uh, and then this is Good. the writer and saying... so what's the response? Okay, boss, you, we get it. You're having a business dinner, and you've got an impressive big client. Big, 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 like your wallet, checking account, house in the Hamptons, blah, blah, blah. Instead, instead try full-bodied. So... Okay, first off, some people just like big reds. Yeah. It doesn't and it's a perfectly good descriptor. And it's, Go, and it's a perfectly good descriptor. Say to a sommelier, I want a really big red, and there is no question about what you want. Right. You don't need to say it's full-bodied. You can just say it's big. And actually, you can have lighter reds that are full-bodied. That's true. So, But well, it's also that of. condescending thing that the only people that drink, and that's the other sort of thing is the only people drink California Cabernet or any big red is somebody who is trying to show off as opposed to the, well. Some people just like them. They so there's a lot of them that are being sold on the market. And some people just like some them. Some people just like them. Yep. Well, and some people, 
we hope, just like us. Because <laughs> if you're still listening. Even though that we're neither big nor red. No, we are not. Okay. Um, we are buttery, though. Um, and in any case, if so you— So any other, any other tidbits to pull from this show, or are we done with these guys? Well, They've made it. there would be more, but um, we'll just start weeping at their foolishness, and it's time to move on to questions. Okay. So uh, thank you for listening to Bottle Talk uh, with uh, Rick and Paul. And those questions uh, can be—you can ask us those at our website at rickandpaulwine.com if you're not listening to it there. That is all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. You can also find us on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free with just a click, and you can find us in a few other places. So our first question comes from Amy in San Anselmo. Mm-hmm. You guys did a show on wine apps a couple weeks ago. So what's the etiquette? We're speaking of jerky sommeliers, right? So what's the etiquette of using a wine app in a restaurant? This is actually a jerky customer. I'm embarrassed to pull out my phone. Not her. I'm embarrassed to pull. Okay, let me just read this question yeah, again. Yeah, you're just doing a great I'm job. I'm commenting, make- though. And Amy's going to be mad at you. Sorry, Amy. Um, you guys did a show on wine apps a couple weeks ago. So what's the etiquette of using a wine app in a restaurant? I'm yeah. embarrassed to pull out my phone to check the wine list, but at one place we we go, we watched a guy at the next table blow off a sommelier who is really pretty nice and says and says he was the guy says he was fine. He had an app. Okay. So what's the etiquette? So the etiquette is either way. I mean, obviously, if the sommelier is a nice person and can offer some advice, that's great. If you've got an app that works great for you, what I would do is take the opportunity to have a conversation with the sommelier and say, well, I've got this cool app. Here's what it tells me. What do you think about this? And the sommelier may say, you know what? Let's try it and see if it works. Or if I were the somme, here's what I would say. Tell you what, you pick a bottle that your app picks for you, and I'll pick a bottle, and I'll serve them to you blind and see which one you like better. There you go. No, I like Have some that. fun with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No? And that's that's actually advice for, I mean, what Amy's asking really about is, is advice for customers, but that's also good advice for Psalms, which, sure. is, which is don't take it personally. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, the truth of it is that many people, Mr. and Ms. Sommelier, are afraid of you, and so this gives them an opportunity to... to to feel like they have some control, because this, this is this thing about wine. People are are, fear, are, are afraid of running to that jerky writer who or that, thinks or, that they're doing something wrong. Or a jerky sommelier. Or a jerky now, she says the sommelier is really nice there. Now, on the other hand, Amy could be an attractive young woman, and this other customer might not be, and it might turn out that the sommelier has a completely different persona <laughs> when he's not talking to attractive young women like Amy. It, Who knows? It could be entirely possible. In any case, <laughs> but the, the only etiquette really is have some etiquette. It's just be polite about it. Sure. And, you know, if yeah. if you go to a busy restaurant and, and you're very nice to say, you know what, I, I got, I think I got this under control, this song will be fine with that. It's yeah. one less person he has to worry yeah. about. On the other hand, on the other hand, I, I would always, you know, staff is there to help. So even if I have an app, well, I'd be tempted to say, well, my, my, I, I think I got this under control. My app says this is the wine on the list that I'm going to like the best unless you got another suggestion. This seems to be the kind of stuff I like. See what the psalm says. That, may say that sounds great. May say we're sold out of that. Let's find something yeah. else. And, Who knows? And the app doesn't know what the food tastes like, and that's where your psalm can help you too. And that right. is, you know, we, that's what we talked about when we did that show on apps, which is, you know, we think of wine as a social thing as well. And it's always like anything else it's fun to talk about it. So have fun with it. And if you want yeah. to use that app, have fun with the app too. Yeah. Okay. This one is from Nancy Sanchez in Scottsdale. Okay. You always say people should talk to their same in a restaurant. See, did we just say that? It's, well, it's as if she is psychic, Rick. Nancy, are you psychic? <laughs> she says, you always say people should talk to their same in a restaurant, but there is a limit. There was a guy in restaurant name removed so we don't get sued who just kept talking to the wine guy and wouldn't let him go. 
we actually had some questions we wanted to ask him, but the other guy just went on and on. What should the psalm do? Oh, boy, that's a hard one. It you is know. a hard one. This reminds me of the wine cruise I once took because on every on every wine cruise, there's the guy. We should point out that Paul is the t- wine expert. He's the teacher on the wine cruise. And I was on a ship once with a dear friend of mine who's a master wine. And on every wine cruise, there's the guy who wants to talk to you not because he wants to learn anything at all. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to know what he knows. So he, you know how smart he yes. is. And that's what this conversation is all about. Why don't go on wine cruises? I know I can't prove that I'm Well, smart. I had a perfect solution because the guy. <laughs> came up to me within 15 minutes of the first wine tasting and asked me a question, and I immediately directed him over to the other oh, guy. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and later he came over him. and he said, Paul, I met the guy. I said, I know. I sent him to you. <laughs> um, so that, as a sommelier, all you can do, and this, I mean, is it, you can talk to him a bit. At some point, you have to say, this is a really fascinating conversation. Let me take care of a couple of cables, and we'll get back to you on this. But... Part of this, and here's my concern, maybe the sommelier thinks this is a test of his manhood and it's the last man standing and he's afraid to leave for fear the other guy may have scored one up on him. And if that's what's going on in the restaurant, you don't want to talk to that sommelier anyway. Yeah, the truth of it is what the psalm needs to do is nod, keep nodding. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. That's really good. Yeah, thank you. Well, and again, I think look around the room and say, great conversation, really fascinating. Let me, if if, if you'd like, I can come back in a few minutes, couple of tables right. I need to address. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. You can sort of politely get away while, while yep. telling that customer what a, what a cool dude he is. And, it, you know, it so often is some dude. It is, it's always a guy. It's you always know, we, a guy. We know way more men that do that jerky sort of thing than we do. This sure. has never happened to you. A sommelier has never stood at your table and talked to you too long. Uh, that's true. It, they, 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 they cringe. They, they come get over. They away as quickly yeah. as they possibly they can. He comes over and he's looking at his watch right <laughs> off the bat saying, you know, I got seven, because these guys over here and what, what, what? Come be quick about it. <laughs> Look, do you want wine or not? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we got a lot more questions later on the show, but that is it for now. Uh, we, we've been to talking about some really horrible wine writing already. So for today, we're going back to a history moment. Oh, boy. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You know, we haven't done the History Moments in a I while, Paul. Those guys. Uh, we, it's great we need to, to see do you again, more. guys. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. We'll have you more often. Absolutely. All right. So, Paul, what do you have? Well, I just it's sort of an interesting t- story that, um, you know, about 140 years ago, the entire wine world pretty much crashed and burned as a result of this tiny little louse that lives in the vineyards. And it all happened because a Frenchman was visiting Virginia. And he was wandering around Virginia, and he found a couple of grapevines that he thought were interesting and intriguing. And so he brought those vines back and planted them in his garden in the Rhone Valley in France. And unbeknownst to him, there were these little root lice called phylloxera living on, those, on the roots of those vines. They were so small you couldn't see them. And they quickly spread and destroyed the entire European wine industry within a generation. And it went back and forth, right? It was uh, so that it, oh, it was because hor- it because was Americans an... were using European vines. This is something that lived in America. It so then came were... to the. It then uh-huh. came and killed all of the American vines. It killed every vine across across the world. And they only discovered that the solution many, many years later. So the next time you think about sneaking an orange into California or thinking, wouldn't it be fun to sneak this past the customs officials, you might remember that gardener in the Rhone and think, maybe destroying the entire wine industry isn't such a great idea. Yeah, and there was a French newspaper called The Death of Wine. When what the solution turned out to be actually was, you know, we have talked about how 
uh, wine works, which is it's like a lot of fruit. Gets uh, you drunk. It, well, no, it's they grafted <laughs> on top of a root. And what they learned was that to use the rootstock was right. Native American. American. Native American, American roots were resistant to the Native American pests. So, so they could plant the French grapes on the American rootstock. So we killed everybody, and then we told them that we had the cure. Yeah, it's a, it's a good system. It's a good, it's so, a good bit of business. Here's my question. Is lice the plural of Laos? Yes, it is. I did not know that. Yes, it is. Well, you've only heard it applied as a singular to yourself. Y- yes, that's what I was going to say. I'm a different kind of wine Laos. <laughs> you rotten it's, Laos, but they I'm, never say you are lice. That's right. <laughs> I, it's like the, the other wine Laos is the sommelier who says uh, oak and, sh- and butter is a, sh- is a flaw. It's a flaw. Yeah, that's right. Well, wine's a little sillier. Uh, we've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've talked about the Greeks in the past, and yes. uh, they're, they're big. Uh, they were they were big on moderation, though. They, it turns out they drank, <laughs> yes. but they pretended not to. But they had a game, so to speak, called Kotobos. Um, and this is we're talking, you know, fourth, fifth century BC. Right. There's a drop or two left in their wine, or maybe some of the 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 what was because the, their wines weren't filtered. Or there was some matter left in the wine. They would fling it, so to speak. Yeah. At it. They would actually do things like set a cup in the middle of the room and fling it and try to get it into the cup. These serious Greeks. So clearly they've been drinking. And they actually That's right. and and the name of this when they all got together to do this that was a symposium. That's right. Because it means to drink together. Yeah, they. Um, but some of these folks even even built special rooms for this. Because after all, you're throwing wine all over the place. You got to hose it down stuff. later, right? Yeah, the, uh, right. That's right. Um, they call some of them called them the Greek. Tra- the translation was gymnasium of the wine gods. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They yeah. even had little statues that would stand up on the edge of the table or on this edge of a wine cup, and if you hit them just right, they would fall in. And if you won. You got. There were all sorts of fun prizes. Yeah, uh, more wine. Dinner with Vanna White. There you go. Yeah, she's been around that long. I think. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we got uh, time for another question or so. So Good. Let's, let's go back to questions. Uh, a reminder that if you are not uh, listening to us on the website, uh, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com to ask us a question. If you are and you haven't asked us a question, go right ahead. We promise not to make fun of you. We'll just make fun of each other. Uh, this one is from Heather in Chico. And she says, why do wines sometimes change color when they get older? Well, Rick, you've changed color as you've gotten older. Your am, hair has certainly gone. I'm now a nice, lovely shade of green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't um, see that on the radio. But... My hair used to be something other than gray. I used to have hair. <laughs> so wines are sort of like us. That's right. <laughs> well, actually, they're more like a very slow version of that apple that you cut and put on the counter right. and get and it, they slowly oxidize right. and the pigments change yep um, and it's you know you um, it's sort of one of the fun things it's a it's a parlor game that that psalms need to sort of figure out when they um uh, when they're taking the tests, and it's really for sort of under guessing how old the wine is, but one of the ways they do it is for looking as at the color of the wine, but also if the wine is in slightly a different color as it, as it gets thinner around the rim because you can see it more. Right. So you can see that the it's starting the, to oxidize. Yeah, you can usually detect these changes more easily in the edge, what is called the rim, rather than the uh, the center of the glass. But it just that's it, why it happens is because the wine slowly oxidizes. Reds tend to lose a little pigment and go from deep and dark reds or even pale bright reds to to brownish and whites go from almost clear um, almost green to brownish and everything eventually turns brownish because that's the color of oxidation yeah and and so can, that brownish looks gold so your wine actually looks looks you know what it looks like it looks like an oaky buttery chardonnay <laughs> 
Yes, which the wine kind of glass, like those two front teeth you've got in your mouth. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. But that's it. So it's a really simple process, but it is, it, it's kind of a cool thing, actually. Yeah, it's just just natural part of it. Remember that wines are made with fruit, and fruit, as it ages, slowly wait, turns wait. color. Wines are made with fruit? Wine. I've heard this. I've, I'm, in fact, I'm, as my is, understanding this, is grapes. This is important information. Okay, well, that's it for now. That's another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We really, uh, we've, well, the only progress we've made is we made fun of wine writers, so that was something good. That's right. <laughs> so that's it. Our producer today is Matt Bassini. Thank you, as Matt. As he always is. Thank you, the Capital Public Radio, for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question, don't forget, go to rickandpaulwine.com. If you'd like us to make fun of somebody, we, uh, let us know, and we will. As long as uh, they don't catch us. <laughs> don't forget to look for us on iTunes. And if, you look, if you've learned anything today, we hope it's don't be like those tools who think you have to sound smart talking about wine. We sure don't. No, we do not. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> and I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.